feet tall. Easy. Good morning, church. This is probably one of the most unique Sundays that you'll be a part of. Not only is it the first Sunday of the year, but this will be the first time that you have heard this message in over 21 years. You've never heard the message that I'm giving to you this morning. And we're believing today that God, who is a God of hope, a God of comfort, a God of promise, a God of healing and restoration, we're trusting for that to happen today. So all of you that raised your hands and watched the ball drop, I'm going to ask you to just stay alert for a few moments today, will you? <laughs> let your ear filters open up, let your heart open up, let your mind open up, because what I'm sharing with you today, and, and I'll allude, a bit more, allude to it a little bit more later, is something that if we're family... Then, then we've got to act like family. We've got to be like family. And if you've ever been a part of a family that's lost a loved one, and I've done many, many, many funerals, and I've seen this, which is really, it's kind of sad, but I've, I've watched families, and, and it's almost like they're in denial. That, yeah, we've lost a member of our family, but, but life's going to go on. It's going to go on, and everything's going to be the same, and everything's fine. And that's not the case. It's like when little Billy was five years old, he came home from school and found out that his dog got hit by a car and was killed. And the dad said, Billy, that's okay, we'll buy you another one. Just go on, move on. And he was about nine years old, he was in fourth grade, and he had this girlfriend, a really cute girl, and one day he got a note from her saying, you're not my boyfriend anymore. I like Johnny better than you. And Billy came home devastated, told his parents, and the parents said, Honey, that's okay. There's, there's more fish in the sea. There's more girls out there. You, you'll, you'll be all right. In high school, he got a notice that his grandfather had passed away, so he went home, and as he entered the house, his mother was sitting off to the side, and she was weeping. She had just lost her father, and, and Billy went over to console his mother, and the dad said, Son, leave your mom alone. She Just leave her alone, and you go on up to your room. That's not how we deal with things that we lose. And so I want your hearts to be open this morning. And the reason that I gave you the tsunami video, if you've ever watched a, a tsunami in action or if you've ever read about it, it's quite interesting, and it ties into my message this morning entitled The Shift. Because a tsunami occurs when there is a shift in the tectonic plate boundary on the ocean floor. In other words, that floor is equal, and it's, it's been that way for years. But whether it's been an underwater earthquake or an underwater volcanic explosion, or even in the history of tsunamis, they say one time there was a meteor that came down. It was so big, it hit the ocean floor. But whatever it was, it disrupted that floor, and there became a shift. And as with tsunamis, they start out slow, they start out subtle, they're silent, but they begin to build. And when they get to the ocean edge, when they get to the coastal edge, 
there's the lower part of the tsunami, which, and this is all, I've got a purpose of this, so stay with me. The lower part of the tsunami is slower than the top part. So when it gets to the coastal region and it begins to recede, it pulls the water with it. And it exposes the coastal line, it exposes the ocean floor, and it just begins to recede back out into the ocean. Now, if you don't know that, because actually it's a warning sign. It's a warning to the people that something is about to happen. But when you ignore it, then that's when you find yourself in trouble. And so as it recedes and it moves back and it's totally ignored and people are standing out there and just thinking they're having a great time, and then the tsunami comes and devastation takes place. But it didn't happen all at once. And, and if you're going to follow with me this morning, obviously we're talking about that Erie First Assembly has experienced a shift. We've experienced a shift. And for many, it seems like it was sudden and overnight. And I believe that God has given this to me and to share some things with you that will help us as we transition into this coming year. So, down through history, down through history, we've experienced historical shifts. 1929, the Great Depression. A tremendous shift in economics. Men on Wall Street were jumping out of windows. They were jumping off of the roof. They, they were devastated. They didn't know how to handle what was going on because the economy sunk, dropped, tanked out, and, and, and life as they knew it was ending, and they were just committing suicide all over the place because there had been a shift. In 1962, when they took prayer and Bible reading out of school, we experienced a moral and ethical shift in our country. And, and, and the, the, the ramifications or the effects that that took place in our country, we are still reaping today. In 2007, we had the recession. It created a shift. Unemployment went up. Interest rates were affected. Jobs were affected. Lives were affected. Families were affected because of a shift. This coming year, in 21 more days, we will have a new president of our country we're going to experience a political shift. There will be new leadership. There will be new people in charge, new people with responsibilities. And, and our country is going to go through a political shift. So if, if, the, if the country is not exempt and the political arena is not exempt and Wall Street is not exempt and, and even families, ladies, that man that you're married to is probably not the same man you dated. Now, I know you're, you're holding your... Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going to raise hands and say amen. But when you were dating that guy and he was sending you notes and bringing you flowers and opening the car door for you and, and giving you those sweet kisses goodnight and just, just calling you on the phone... And now he comes home, flops in the recliner, turns on the TV, and says, what time's supper? There was a shift. There was a shift. 
So if families are not exempt and countries are not exempt and the political arena is not exempt, it would only stand a reason that the church is not exempt from a shift. And I want to take you this morning to Matthew 16. And I want us to take a look at what Jesus had in mind when he was beginning the start of his church. And, and you have to keep in mind, because here's the challenge that we have today, is many people, and this is a message that really is appropriate for all churches, because many people today, their mentality is basically based on religion. And church to them is a building and programs and all of the things, the amenities that come with that, but that wasn't what Jesus was talking about in Matthew. So I want them to put this scripture up on the screen, and I want us to take a look at it. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And those are the five words that Jesus has given to us today that gives us great hope and great comfort and great encouragement because Jesus is still saying today, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven of whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter declared who Jesus was. Jesus declared what he would do. And when we look at those five words and we break it down, Jesus said, I. That means that he is the architect. And when I put this, this is my third draft of this message and when I put it together, I, I, it brought to my attention how far the church, and I'm talking about the church, big C, the kingdom of God, how far we have shifted from really what Jesus' intent was. But he says, I, which is meaning that he is the architect. He says, I will. Will is a promise for the future. And I think that God is saying to us this morning that here at Erie First, we can take a deep breath because Jesus promised us that he will build his church. So that word will indicates a future promise, promise for the future. And then he said build. And build is, means it's an ongoing process. The church is still in the building process. From the beginning of time until where we are at this moment, the church is still in the building process. And in all of the years, we talked about church growth, church growth. He never said he would grow. He never used the word grow. You grow potatoes. You grow tomatoes. You grow flowers. But you build. And Jesus said, I will build. It's an ongoing process. And then he said, my. That word, my, simply denotes ownership. 
that Jesus said it's my church. And then church is simply a group of assembled people gathered together for a distinctive purpose. Why are we here? What is Jesus calling us to do? But he gave us that promise, and so fast forward now, when he rose from the grave as we sang, he came out of the grave, and before he ascended to heaven, he said, I am going to send you a comforter, and, and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and, and he will give you power to be my witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so he said, I want you to go to this upper room. These 120 people, now there were 500 following him, but only 120 went to the upper room. So here they are in the upper room, and they don't know how long. He didn't say, I want you to go there for, he says, go tarry, go wait. And so they get to the upper room, and I'm sure they have anxiety. It's, it's almost like that I say to you guys, I've got, ever, I've got a present for every one of you on this front row. See me after service. I just lost them. They're not listening to my message. They're wanting to know what the present is. Man, what, what, is he, what has he got me? So you got these 120 people, and they're in the upper room. And then if you understand, if you read through the book of Acts, it says there's a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And the cloven tongues of fire came upon them, and they received the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Now think with me for a moment. 120 people speaking in different languages. Some of them still under the power of the Holy Spirit. They stagger out of the upper room. They're walking on the streets, and they still have the, the effects of, of God's power on them, and they're staggering, and people are looking at them and going, they got to be drunk. they they got to be drunk. There's got to there's be something wrong with them. Now, for the normal person, if you were to look at that, you would say, what I see is chaos and confusion and confrontation. So it must not be of God. But I can take you through Scripture and show you that most often chaos and confusion and confrontation often precedes a great move of God. So we need to understand that, and I think what we're doing this morning is helping us to come to an understanding, because we're not going to deny the fact that this church is going through a shift. We can't turn our heads and bury our heads and say, okay, we're in a shift, and we know what happened, and so we're just going to mechanically go on. I believe that God has given me this today to bring healing and to bring hope and to bring understanding. So here they are, and it says, and Peter stood up. It probably says Peter stood up because he's on the floor. He was down there, and, and, and he, got, he got smacked, and he went down. But it says that he stood up, and he began to preach Jesus, and 3,000 people became followers of Jesus. Now, I may get this wrong, and you mathematicians can help me out here, but it seemed like I remember that's a, a multi multiplication of about 126 in one day as a result of one sermon. Now they became 3,120. So what did they do after that? Well, let's go to Acts. 
uh, chapter 2 and look at verse 42 and kind of see what, what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. Teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. Simple. Simple. Everyone was filled with awe at the mighty wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. And every day, every day, every day, not one Sunday out of the month or two Sundays out of the month, but every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. My, how we have expanded on those four basic principles. And so we, we come to this place and we come to this understanding that Jesus is building his church. He is the architect. He is the owner. He is the builder. Uh, he's promised that we would have as future, we would have a church. And we see what happened in the book of Acts. And as the church continued to grow, problems rose up. And much like the tsunami, people were unaware. But when you look through Scripture, you will recognize that as Jesus is building his church, he's telling you and I, hey, here's some warning signs, such as warning difficult people ahead. You ever run into difficult people? The... <laughs> I just met one. Uh, the, the poor. And I love difficult people. The poor, the lost, the disenfranchised, the unemployed, the homeless, the destitute, the children that have no parents. And there's a warning, it's in scripture, in the last days, there will be difficult people. And then there's another warning side that says, in the last days, difficult times will come. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. Open up the paper. Check your news. All over our world, difficult times. Difficult times. And then... There is a warning, beware of deception. Because there will be people who will come and say, I am of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, I love Jesus. And, and they use all of the, the, the cliches and the words to, to integrate and get interwoven into the body. But really the ultimate goal is control, influence, and really 
trying to get their way in everything that is done. And the Bible says, beware of deception. But you see, church, if you and I are not familiar with these warning signs, if we're not familiar with where we are at this moment, we're going to be like the tsunami. We're going to be caught off guard. And we're going to be sitting here, and in no sacrilegious way am I meaning this, but we're going to be singing here, singing and raising our hands and having a great time, and all of a sudden, bang, we get hit. So God gives the body pastors with shepherds' hearts in love, to be able to help us to understand how this affects our time. Because what we don't always understand is this. God often allows in his wisdom what he could prevent by his power. God often allows in his wisdom what he could prevent by his power. So whatever you're experiencing and you're feeling, your emotion, your decision, your mind, your thinking, whatever you're experiencing, keep in mind that God is in control. God is in control, and whatever's happening in your life, God could prevent that by his power, but he may just be allowing it by his wisdom. So this is why it's important that we pray and we read the word and we seek God's voice and God's will because we live in a very culture time, cultured time. We live in an age when most people don't think for themselves. Let's just be honest. Let's, 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 I think where I'm going with this and, and where I'm about to enter into in, in just getting real with you, let's take ownership. And if I'm here and I'm saying, and, and I know that I don't think for myself, I got to take ownership of that. That needs to change. But we live in a culture when most people don't think for themselves. Why? Because marketing thinks for us, advertising lays out our options. You can get this or this or this or this. Our feelings guide our decisions. And entertainment makes us passive and tolerant and downright lazy. So we don't have to think for ourselves. We have allowed the culture to think for us. Now, let me put side by side. Watch this. Teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. Marketing, advertising, feelings, and entertainment. Is it just possible that we are experiencing a shift in, in, in who we are allowing to form our decisions and our concepts and our ideas? When you lay those four side by side, can you see that it just may be that we've had a shift and now as a culture, we rely more on marketing and advertising and feelings and entertainment than we do on teaching and fellowship and communion and prayer. 
So it brings us to where we are this morning. As I said earlier, we're not going to ignore the fact that our church is going through a shift. And I don't have time. In fact, I, in my first draft of my message, I was going to lay out for you, because we did this together as a core group. If you were here in our StratOps group, we went through what we called seven major turning points of the church in the history. Or it could be the seven shifts. And, and I had that all prepared, and, and all of a sudden, it's like God said, uh-uh. That's not your business. That's my business. Have you ever got caught by God and he tells you, wait a minute, that's not your business, that's my business. And when you take and try to do my business as your business, I'm going to tell you it's none of your business and stay with your own business. That's a tongue twister. So that's a word of caution that whatever you're involved in or whatever thought process of whatever you're doing, God said to me, no, that's my business. You leave that alone. So first draft, ripped it up, started again. Because we find ourselves sometimes trying to do God's business when it's really none of our business. It's a trust factor that we give to God and we put with God. So I've got four questions for you. So let's just put it out on the table. Because the reason I feel qualified to do this is that Barbara and I, in the 40 years of ministry, we have sat both in the pew and we've stood behind the pulpit experiencing what you're experiencing as a church. We sat in the pew when the pastor that married us, the pastor that Barb knew most of her growing up years, and he did our wedding. And we sat in the pew when he read his resignation. And we experienced the feelings and the emotions of the people in that sanctuary as he said, this will be my last Sunday. And we've been on the platform, and Barbara has stood beside me when I have read letters of resignation. And not only our hearts were broken, but as the congregation would come up and talk with us and express their, their thankfulness and their love and their gratitude. And, and then we would go to another church and accept a pastorate where we followed someone who had stood and read a letter of resignation. And we came in to deal with those people in their brokenness and their hurt and the grief and the pain. We had to come in and minister and just love on them, just love on them. So I say not that I'm qualified by way of degrees, but I'm qualified because in the last 40 years, we have been there where you're sitting. We've experienced it personally. And this is a very unique situation because most churches do not have this situation where that you're going through a shift that you are, but you got somebody that's been around long enough and had enough experience that understands these things. And when Pastor Jack came to me and he said, I just met with the council and this is what they've asked me to do and this was what I've agreed to. 
And so I'm going to offer my resignation. And the, when he left the room in the next 30 minutes, these four questions came to me. And it's like God was saying, these have to be dealt with. They have to be dealt with. You can't expect my church, my people, to just bury their head and think life goes on as normal. They have to be dealt with. And I shared that with Pastor Nicole and, and, and biding my time. That would have been back in October. And biding my time because I knew there would be a time that God would give to me. And when she asked if I could preach this morning and do a standalone, it's like God was saying, okay, you can do it. And I said, but God, it's New Year's Sunday. Nobody's going to be here. <laughs> and you know what he said? That's not your business. <laughs> That's my business. <clears throat> I'll tell him to go on podcast. So here are the questions. We had a resignation after 21 years. 21 years of walking together, 21 years of ministering together, 21 years of loving on people and people loving on pastor. And the resignation came and there was a shift. There was a shift. And we didn't even know, we don't, what does it look like? What are we supposed to do? And many of the questions that have come to me is, I, I don't know what we do. What are we going to do? I, I don't know how to handle this. So I believe that God, by his Holy Spirit, is going to help me walk us through these four tough questions. And if you're to, here today as a guest, this is what I call just housekeeping. We're family, and we're dealing with this. And maybe it will help you somewhere in the road, down the road, at whatever church that you're a part of. But... Please bear with us for the next few moments. So the shift came, and now the question is, and you say, because some of the things I'm going to say to you will probably take some of you by surprise, and you'll go, oh, I can't believe people think that way. Come on. We're human. We're just getting real this morning. So first question. Who do we blame? you got to blame somebody. We stood and we, we sat there and we heard the resignation letter read, so i got to blame somebody. So who do we blame? Do we blame the pastor? Pastor Jack sat in my home and he said, well, I suppose when I leave they're going to throw me under the bus. I said, yep. <laughs> he says, Don, thanks for the encouragement. And I said, because you're the pastor. The buck stops there. I said, but, but, but who do we blame? Do, do we blame the council? So be careful if you blame the council because you voted them in. Do we blame the support staff? Who do we blame? You see, we're holding back on this one because you go, oh, I'd never blame God. Well, in essence, we kind of are. Because if we believe that Jesus is building his church, 
If we believe that he is the architect and the builder and the owner and the originator, and he says he promised he will build his church, and we believe that God is in control, we're really kind of blaming God. But we're just afraid we're going to get struck by lightning if we do that. So who do we blame? Here's my theory. I believe that everyone in this church and every council member that's been a part of this church in past years and the staff, every living, breathing person in this building takes ownership for the shift. So who do we blame? Secondly, how do we respond? There are some people, as pastors resign, there are some people respond with grief because they're the only pastor they've ever had. They've dedicated their children. They've married their children. They've buried their spouses. They've taken those phone calls in the middle of the week, in the middle of the night, and they've had those one-on-one conversations, and they've been a part of those small groups that's been very intimate and close, and, and, and just a lot of relationship building. And now, it's shifted. And how do we respond? Can I say this to you as a shepherd? You have permission to grieve. You have permission to hurt. Somewhere as you walk with Jesus, there will come a time of healing. But right now, you have permission to feel that way. It's not that you're anti-spiritual if you're feeling hurt and grief. And, and some may even feel a sense of abandonment. That this pastor I had for 21 years, and now he's gone, and so I'm abandoned. And, and I understand that. And, and, and as a pastor, it, it, it's difficult, but you've got this sense of abandonment going on. And yet Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There are some people that perhaps are happy. This is the one I said will shock you. There are some people very silently, very quietly sit there and go, okay, I'm going to wait him out one more year. And finally, when the resignation comes, they go, whoo, about time. Hallelujah. And there are some people who are sad. And there will be some people who will leave because of the shift, and there will be some people who very possibly will come back because of the shift. That is called humanity. That is just human nature. And the reason that I share these things with you is because here's the thing. We often criticize what we do not understand. And I believe that God wants us to have an understanding. He wants us to have a base of understanding because we often criticize the things that we don't understand. So I'm sharing with you in my heart today, as a shepherd, that these feelings are very real and these responses are very real. 
And that's okay. That's okay. So, third question is, why do we even come here to start with? Why do we come to this church? Well, again, because of our humanness, there are four basic reasons why people go to any church they attend. First of all, they go to it because of the place. Erie First Assembly. When we were known as the big church on the hill and we had Fully Alive and we had the musicals and we had Standing Room Only, and it was kind of cool when they'd say, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to Erie First. You know, the big church. The big church. So it was kind of cool to say to their friends that they came to a place. They came to a place More likely than not, they were never part of the church as Jesus modeled it, but they just came to a place. Secondly, a person. I'm not so into what's going on at the church, but my friends go there, so I'm going to come and hang out with my friends. It's kind of a social time. And so I show up on Sunday morning, and I'm hanging out with my friends, and I could take it or leave it. It's not a big deal. I'm not tied to first and nine, the history, but I just like to be with my friends. So they come because of a person. Then there are people who come because of a personality. Without going into anything deeper than not getting into God's business, Every pastor that's ever pastored has a personality. We have personalities. When you have heard those of us come up to preach, every one of us has a different personality. Pastor Jack, Pastor John, Pastor Nicole, Pastor Danielle, Andy Kerr, I'm up here. And if we're here just for a personality, you will sit there and go, well, I want to hear Pastor John. I want to hear Pastor Jack. I really like it when Andy Kerr comes. I want to hear Pastor Nicole. Do you see what's happening? There is a maturing process that has to take place that if we believe that God has called us to ministry and he's given us a calling on our life to preach the word, when God saves us, he doesn't remove our personality. So regardless of the personality, if we are preaching the word, there's something good there that we can take hold of and glean from, and it has nothing to do with our personality, but that's one of the reasons why people attend churches that they do. Personality. Then, the last one, which should be the only one, but it isn't, is presence. Is presence. When I come into this church, eerie first, it doesn't matter what church, but when I come into the church, there's something that I sense, and I can't define it. I can't explain it. I sit there in the worship time and something comes over me and I don't know what it is, but it just senses the presence of God. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his hand of mercy and grace. 
I hear the rush of angels' wings. I see glory on his face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. So that's why we come. That's how we respond. And we found out that we all take ownership and we're not going to blame anybody. We take ownership. So the last is, where do we go from here? Because God's building, Jesus is ahead. And this is why it's so key for you to pray, for you to be in prayer and staying in the word. You need to, you need to pray now more than ever before for the future of this church. Because here's another principle. When people cannot see what God is up to, they stumble all over themselves. When people cannot see what God is up to, they stumble all over themselves. They just, they don't know. But when our trust and our hope is in God, on Christ the solid rock I stand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. This is the Lord's church and Jesus is Lord. This is the church that's been established by his word. This is the church that the Lord is building. The gates of hell will not prevail. This is the Lord's church, and Jesus is Lord. When we believe that, we can understand that where do we go from here? Prayer, support, unity, family. Now watch this. Prayer, fellowship, communion, and teaching. Prayer, support, unity, family. Prayer, fellowship, communion, and teaching. You see what's happened? We started out with the early church model. Somewhere down the road, we, we shifted into marketing and advertising and feelings and entertainment. But Jesus, I believe, is calling his church to come back around to prayer and support and unity and family. He said, but Pastor Don, why can't this be a smooth transaction? Why can't it just be a smooth? Because here's what I found in breakthroughs. And maybe you're saying, you know, we've just been praying for a breakthrough. We've been praying for a breakthrough. It's kind of like praying for patience. We never stop and, and look at the two words before there. Tribulation worketh patience. Oh, God, give me patience. Give me patience. And God goes, okay, you ask for it. <laughs> there comes tribulation. And we pray for breakthrough. Oh, God, give us a breakthrough. Give us a breakthrough. We need a breakthrough. Breakthrough does not come in times of blessing, but in times of warfare and confrontation. When you're in blessing, you don't need a breakthrough. But when we are in times of warfare, and it's a spiritual warfare, the times that we're in, the shift that we are experiencing, the feelings, the emotions, all of the things that are taking place, that's when breakthrough comes. comes. And I believe, I believe that God is building this church. Through the last couple of months in the office, every once in a while, some of the people would be coming around or we'd pass each other, and they'd say, Pastor Don, how you doing? Okay. 
Next week, Pastor Don, how you doing? Doing okay. It wasn't that I didn't have concerns or I didn't, I, I didn't have this assurance, but I knew that Jesus is building his church. And he will build it with me or without me. He doesn't need me to build his church. So it is out of gratitude and thankfulness and out of appreciation to God that he's afforded me the opportunity to be a part of something what I believe is going to be great. And it's probably not going to happen by January the 8th. But I rest assured in my heart and in my spirit that Jesus is going to build his church. Give God praise for that. If you believe that, if that has brought you hope and comfort, and this morning if you've had some consolation and, and you've been able to take a deep breath and go, oh my goodness, thank you, Jesus. I can feel this way and not feel I'm a sinner. In time, God will bring healing. God will heal the wounds. God will bind up the broken hearts. He won't take away the memories because the memories that you've had over the last 21 years, those will be with you forever, and those will be good memories. We just watched a bunch of pictures of our, our little rug rats. This is, we've had all, all of them with us this week, and Barb's got them on the computer, and we're watching, and we go back when they were little, and Oh, fantastic memories, fantastic memories. But God will bring the healing. It'll come. Rest in that. Take heart in that. Listen, not because of my position, but because of my heart and because what I believe that God is pleased in this morning, that we've dealt with some things that we, we cannot cover up, that we cannot ignore, and trust that God in his time he will bring healing and restoration. And I believe that God is wanting to do that because we are a family. Amen? We are a family. And I'm going to ask you to do this. I want you to stand with me this morning. There's a declaration that I want you to say with me, and I want you to say it with confidence. Put, up, put this on the, on the screen. And I know this is your first time seeing it, but I want you to read this out with me. Ready? Here we go. We may not look like family, but we strive to be like one. We will endeavor to act like one with purpose and intent, and we will care like one. Amen? Amen. Let's just give God praise this morning for what he's doing. <laughs> Father, we thank you. We thank you today. And Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us a release to share information with hope and joy and comfort and love to this church family. And we pray that the things that have been said will impart to our hearts and our spirits and our minds that we walk out of this building because it is a building. Jesus, it's interesting when you put your model together, you never told them to go buy buildings. But you did tell them 
to follow teachings and prayer and communion and fellowship. So when we walk out of this building, it is your church walking out to their respective places, their homes, their jobs. And Father, we pray as you're dealing with our hearts this morning and throughout this week, Father, we pray that there will come a time that the only reason we show up on Sunday is to experience your presence. It's not about the place. It's not about the people. It's not about personality. But, Father, we come expressing a desire to experience your presence in an almighty way. So, Jesus, we thank you that we're a part of what you're doing. Right now we're under construction and things look a little messy. But that's okay because we know that out of chaos and confusion, you bring order and you bring structure. And it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a happy new year. Amen.